Auburn's going to win the football game. Auburn's going to win the football game. He ran the missed field goal back. He ran it back 109 yards. They're not going to keep him off the field tonight. Boise State for the win. They hand it off to Johnson. Boise State has won the Tostitos Fiesta Bowl. Can you believe it? He's going for the corner. State has stunned the college football world. One of the greatest upsets in sports history. Welcome everyone to the Fifth Year Podcast. I am Clint Maxey in the producer's chair joined here by Parker Biggs. Parker, how was week one? What do you think? Yeah, great to have a full uh, slate of games back this weekend. Lots of really exciting matchups, but the thing that really stood out to me the most was just having lots of packed college football stadiums. It was awesome. The atmospheres were electric. After a year of basically having no fans in the stands, it's that's what makes college football great: is the crowds, the passion. Agreed. You could tell that this whole weekend. Yeah, and uh, got to watch with friends. Clint and I actually had a, a fantasy draft this weekend down in Fort Worth, so uh, that was a lot of fun getting to watch college football with friends, drink some beers, uh, good weekend. Yeah, yeah, and my fantasy team's a lot better than you two, so. Yeah, Clint and I played twice, we're, uh, we're new rivals, we're rivals. We, we do random random schedules, and uh, he's who I played, one of the teams I played twice, so uh, we'll, we'll keep y'all updated on uh, our fantasy squads, but I, uh, I like uh, my chances against old Clinton. Yeah, we'll have to uh, update you guys as the season goes on, but... Yeah, so great week one, and we're going to get right into the week one recap. All right, let's start it off by going over some of the biggest games. We'll start off with Georgia-Clemson. Defensive battle here. Both quarterbacks struggled. Georgia ended up winning it 10-3. to Yeah, it was close as many anticipated. I don't know if this game went as most would expect. I think there was a sense that the defenses could carry the day for both teams, but not to not to this extent. No odd offensive touchdowns scored all day. Christopher Christopher Smith had that 74-yard interception return for a touchdown late in the second quarter, which was all uh, Georgia needed. They took the 10-0 lead at that point. Uh, Clemson got a field goal later, but it, they just couldn't get it going uh, offensively. That offensive line, as we discussed going into the game, looks uh, a bit concerning. They were um facing one of the better defensive lines in the country so that does um, have something to do with it I can't tell yet I think we won't really know until we see how the season develop develops for both if this was really really elite defensive play or poor offense I tend to think it's a little bit of both uh, DJ Ugalele not the game I think that many expected after what we saw in his small sample size last season he had 178 yards was 19 for 37 obviously no touchdowns had an interception they did I got their one bright spot offensively was Joseph Nagata who had 110 yards Clemson should be happy with what they saw to their defense their defense was dominant Uh, Georgia was able to get some stuff going through the ground but JT Daniels couldn't really get in much of a rhythm um, was forced to check down, look underneath, couldn't get over the top of that Clemson defense. So I think both teams should be happy with what they saw to their secondaries. 
as far as Georgia goes, that defensive line was legit. They were dominant. Uh, sacked DJ seven times. Only had two rushing yards against Clemson. Clemson couldn't do anything on the ground. Uh, Georgia's rushing offense was solid, not great. Zamir White looks to be formidable for sure, and I would expect more for him um, as that they won't be facing a defensive line as good as what they did with Clemson. Looking ahead for both of these teams, Clemson doesn't control their own destiny at this point. Uh, they're going to need help, but they're still – and I mean, there's nothing to freak out about if you're a Clemson fan. You've got one loss. ACC wasn't impressive. Uh, Clemson wasn't impressive either, but the rest of the ACC – didn't impress me. So, I mean, they're still the heavy favorite in in the ACC. So, you run the table, you have one loss, you're going to have a legitimate shot at a playoff spot. So, no need to freak out there. Georgia gave themselves a lot of padding. Now they could now they could lose a game um, later in the year, which they couldn't have afforded to if they'd lost this game. So, what's going to be interesting, I really we we talked about this last week. I think there's a legitimate chance we could come down to these two teams both having one loss at the end at the end of the season and how do we go from there if they're both one loss georgia doesn't have a conference championship clemson does but clemson or but georgia now has this head-to-head i have a hard time thinking you'd let clemson in over georgia in that scenario but a lot a lot of football left who knows what's going to happen i think clemson will be fine i think georgia shown a lot i think we found out a lot of good for georgia but i still i mean there's some serious question marks it's not the pick six is the only difference in this game. So right. a lot of question marks for both teams, though, um, as we uh, look ahead to the rest of the season. Yeah, DJ had 14 of Clemson's 23 rushes. Kind of interesting. Yeah. <laughs> All right, moving on. Good Thursday night game. Really good game. Uh, Minneapolis back and forth the whole game. Ohio State pulled away late, winning 45-31. Yeah, this was a, this was a fun game. Minnesota looked to be giving Ohio State everything they really – uh, could early in that game. C.J. Stroud struggled big time in the first half, only 58 yards through the air. But uh, all those weapons he has really stepped it up in the second half with big touchdowns all over the place. Williams had a 70-yard touchdown. Lave had uh, two touchdowns. One was 38 yards, one was, one was 61 yards. Garrett Wilson with a 56-yard touchdown. And then that uh, electric freshman, Travion Henderson, with a 70-yard receiving touchdown out of the backfield. So that's awesome. Ohio State, we all knew they had one of the most talented offensive cores in the country, and they showed it off, especially in the second half. Uh, their defense still looks questionable to me, similar to what we've had the last couple of years. They're going to need to show some more going forward. They allowed 203 rushing yards, and fortunately for Ohio State, they're fa- facing Tanner Morgan from Minnesota, who's a good game manager, but he he's not going to be able to um, really pushed the limits of that Ohio State defense. So uh, couldn't tell a ton about the uh, pass defense. I don't think this is a fair uh, gauge there, but some some concerns. But the defense also stepped up and made big plays when it mattered. Late in the third quarter, they had that strip sack with Harrison uh, stripping the ball and Haskell Garrett taking it back to the, uh, the distance. They've got some dudes on that front seven, but uh, they showed some uh, some question marks. I mean – Ibra, uh, Muhammad Ibrahim ran, ran for 163 yards uh, against Ohio State. They had no no answer for that until, unfortunately, Ibrahim got injured uh, with a torn Achilles and, unfortunately, is going to be out for the season, which really, really does suck for Minnesota and for folks 
but keep up with Big Ten football because he is arguably the best running back in that league, uh, and they will be without him. So that's concerning for Minnesota going forward because with him, I think there's some some hope that they could reach that level of what they did a couple years ago. They gave Ohio State everything they wanted. So they're a team that could be a dark horse as a 10-11 win team. Without Ibrahim, though, uh, I think that's going to be difficult. They're going to have to find something with the passing game. But, uh, yeah, Minnesota still had a lot to, to be happy with. Ohio State, another big one coming up with uh, Oregon this week. So uh, uh, this game was probably good for Ohio State to get a, a tester in week one So because they could have another one here uh, in week two. Yeah, yeah, that really sucks about Ibrahim. I wrote that in my phone, how good he looked. He's a beast. Really yeah. unfortunate. All right, another Thursday night game, UCF, Boise State, largest comeback win in UCF history, coming back down 21. UCF takes down Boise State 36-31. Yeah, what a uh, what a comeback and what a start for Malzahn, uh, game one for him at UCF. Yeah, they, uh, they did not start off the way I was expecting. There was that two-hour and 45-minute uh, lightning delay, which – made the beginning kind of weird Boise had a pick six earlier early with a bad throw from Dylan Gabriel he had a couple really questionable throws um so Boise was able to take advantage with some of their guys they've got on defense but second half UCF their offense is going to get all the attention deservedly they did everything they really could do against uh, Boise in the second half but that defense shut Boise down they could not get anything going especially in the third quarter UCF was very well-rounded. They had question marks at both running back and receiver, and I think there's a lot of promise um, and a lot of excitement for what UCF um, saw with some of those guys. Jalen Robinson, the Oklahoma transfer at receiver, had an enormous game, six catches, 140 yards, and a touchdown. Isaiah Bowser, the uh, Northwestern transfer, kind of out of nowhere. Uh, not out of nowhere. He was expected to be part of that rotation, but he ran for 172 yards and that game-winning touchdown. Boise, uh, first half, I thought it looked like Bachmeyer might be take might have taken that next step. They struggled in the second half, so there are still some concerns there. But overall, I think both you no one's ever half, happy after a loss. But I think both teams should be uh, content with what they got. UCF got a test early, which is going to be important as they get into conference play later on because they've got some tough battles. They need to show that they can win these under uh, Malzahn here. And Boise, yes, a disappointing loss. Blowing a 21-point lead sucks. But there is still a lot to be happy with. They got in a bit of a shootout with UCF and kept up with them for the most part. Or, I mean, surged ahead initially. Uh, defense, I think there's a lot to like. Offense needs to show that they can uh, close a game out. Um, but, but besides... Um, the game itself, there was a horrible beat on this one, which I was on, so I'm feeling it worse than than most. But they were so so when boys or when UCF took the uh, the the lead, their final lead with that Isaiah Bowser uh, touchdown run, they went up 36 31. So they led by five points. They went for two to make it a seven point game. Makes sense, not questioning that. But they failed to get the two point conversion after a penalty uh, pushed them back. Uh, they couldn't get in the end zone, so it made the final score 35 or 36-31 rather than 38-31, which kept me from hitting the over and from UCF covering five and a half. So, 
Real uh, rough. Double whammy. Yeah, that was brutal. All right, another Thursday night game, Virginia Tech, UNC. Virginia Tech pulling off a top 10 upset. Very rough game for Sam Howell, completing 53% of his passes. Three picks. Virginia Tech won 17-10. Yeah, this might have already ended uh, Howell's Heisman campaign. That was ugly. A lot of offseason hype for UNC, top 10 team. I am surprised by how poorly they played, but I'm not totally shocked that Virginia Tech pulled this one off. UNC came into this game with their offensive linebacker and Howell back. They lost all their skilled guys from that Orange Bowl team. The losses of uh, Javante Williams and Michael Carter, I think, are going to be felt more than a lot expected. But still, to score 10 points, that's uh, really uh, bad, bad offense. Uh, disappointing start, but a big, big win for Justin Fuente. Vodtech fans, I think, have mixed feelings on him. So this was a big win to start the season. Um, and to kind of keep his seat from heating up because uh, he's had it's been a, a roller coaster for him so far at Virginia Tech, but a huge win to start the season. Tough loss for North Carolina. I'm not ready to count him out yet because they're going to have a shot in that coastal division still for sure, but uh, not what the Tar Heels had hoped for to start the season. Yeah, next up, Alabama-Miami. Alabama looked like Alabama. Really good game from Bryce Young. Alabama blew him out 44-13. Yeah, it's just another year, same old Bama. That train keeps rolling. You've got to love – Alabama fans have to be thrilled with what they got out of Bryce Young. Miami probably isn't the 14th best team in the country, but still a solid team to go and blow out. And got a, a defense that had experienced guys. So – Really nice win for Alabama. Uh, they're the the team to beat, in my opinion, again this year. So, uh, yeah, Bryce Young did everything you'd hoped. Their defense was dominant. Derek King wasn't able to do anything. So, yeah, the Bama train keeps rolling. All right, moving to the OU's opener. Tulane gave OU a scare. OU won 40-35. OU with only three points in the second half. Defense seemed scattered pretty much all game what do you think about this yeah this was a this was an odd one i the score probably wasn't as necessarily as close as it indicated OU led by 23 at half but similar to last year they're showing some tendencies that they're unable to finish a game they had it that issue last year against k-state against iowa state they've had it in other games throughout the lincoln riley tenure you gotta be the best teams when they're up they'll freaking Step on their throat. Finish them off. OU hasn't shown that ability. Rattler, his numbers weren't bad. 30 for 39, 304 yards, one touchdown. Also had two interceptions. And he had one or two rushing touchdowns. Um, I know he had a QB sneak. I think he might have had two. Uh, But, yeah, real concerns with some of his throws. I mean, that first interception was horrible. It was in the triple coverage. He was missing a lot of guys, especially over the middle. Open receivers. They didn't look ready to play to me. Defensively, uh, it was kind of a mixed bag. I mean, they shouldn't have scored, given up 35 points to Tulane, but Tulane came out ready to play. OU's defensive line I thought looked good, which was expected. But there has been an expectation that the defensive backs would take that next step this season. I didn't see it. I realize it's only week one. But specifically, I didn't love what I saw to DJ Graham. I thought Woody Washington looked good at one corner spot. 
And then Davis and Graham were kind of were both kind of alternating at that other spot. DJ Graham, in my opinion, is a future NFL guy, potentially high draft pick. But man, he was getting beaten coverage. They were struggling with crossing routes. Uh, some questionable decisions when it comes to what they were doing coverage wise. Tulane was just running those crossing routes, and our guys weren't keep not our guys. OU's guys weren't keeping up with them. Um, so yeah, they've got. Fortunately, they've got a couple warm up games. They got Western Carolina this week, and then Nebraska following that. So they'll be fine for a while. But they they've got major, uh, not major. They've got some concerns that they've got got to get cleaned up. Yeah, agreed. They just did not look ready. All right, Oregon, Fresno State, Oregon. They were uh, tied heading into the fourth. Late rushing touchdown by Anthony Brown seals the deal for the Ducks, winning 31-24. Yeah, Anthony Brown, he was uh, at Boston College a couple seasons ago. was the backup to Tyler Show last year, but has uh, won the job this season. Pretty pedestrian first uh, start for him this year. He had that game-winning rushing touchdown, but he only threw for 172 yards and a touchdown. They were very pedestrian across the board offensively. Bigger concern, though, is Kayvon Thibodeau had an ankle injury. We're still uncertain how serious it is and how long he'll be out. They're going to need him against Ohio State if they're going to have a shot there. This one's really. This was really a game that Oregon could have lost. They uh, uh, Fresno had five fumbles and lost three of those. So if they could have held on to the ball a little more, this one might have gone the other way. Uh, Fresno State was down a couple touchdowns early, surged back, took a lead early in the fourth quarter. Uh, yeah, and that game-winning touchdown came with uh, – they had tie, Oregon had tied it up before that at 24, and that game-winner came with under three minutes left. So they that was, this was a, a tester for the Ducks. Uh, I don't see – I struggle seeing this offense being able to keep up with the weapons Ohio State has. So they're going to – they're going to need something something special next week and a quick uh, turnaround from a, a struggle against Fresno. Yeah, I'm excited about that game, especially Ohio State's defense. It'll be interesting to see. All right, big, big 10 matchup uh, week one, Penn State and Wisconsin. Penn State wins a close one in Madison, 16-10. Yeah, this was uh, – Penn State ended Wisconsin's 25-game win streak and home openers – and Wisconsin really had every opportunity to win this game. Should have won this game. They had four scoreless trips inside the uh, Penn State's 25-yard line, and three of those were they had gotten inside the five-yard line. They were just, I mean, they had that blocked kick, a couple turnovers. The last turn, their last trip was that uh, they gotten inside the five. They had a fourth down and goal, and uh, Graham Mertz threw an interception, his second of the day, and that basically ended the game. I mean, Wisconsin outplayed them other than their ability to finish inside the red zone and turnovers really killed them. I liked what I saw out of their run game. It was better than I was expecting. Chesma Lucy, the Clemson transfer, uh, to me was a, it was a bit surprising to see a work uh, a workhorse type load for him with 31 carries, 121 yards. Uh, I mean, it's going to be an uphill battle for, for Wisconsin now uh, with the Big Ten West. Iowa, because especially after the way Iowa looked, they looked like they're going to be a tough, tough out in the Big Ten West. And Wisconsin now has a loss, so this was was one they should have won. They didn't. Big win for Penn State, though. Continued momentum 
after their strong finish last year. I think they ended on a four-game win streak. So another win for the Nittany Lions. Big Ten East still runs through Ohio State. But uh, this was a good win over a good team. So if we can – Penn State's offense has got it. They're not going to be able to win the East the way they looked against Wisconsin because Ohio State's not going to only score 10 points. Um, need to see some more improvement out of that Penn State offense. But still a huge, huge win uh, for James Franklin in week one. All right, next we got UCLA, LSU, UCLA. Kept the momentum going uh, from week zero. An upset LSU, number 16, 38-27 at home. Yeah, this was a, a huge, biggest win of Chip Kelly's tenure at UCLA. They got that win over Hawaii last week and looked good, but I still had question marks. I picked LSU to win this game. But those same concerns we had with LSU last year still seem to be uh, uh, the case. Their defense looked horrible. Uh, Dorian Thompson-Robinson only threw a nine, only had nine completions. He threw for 260 yards and three touchdowns. And that rush defense that got beat up all year last year is going to be an, an issue again for LSU. Zach Charbonnet, the Michigan transfer, had a second consecutive 100-yard game. He averaged over 10 yards per carry. His yards per carry numbers have been crazy in these first two games. So UCLA seems to be well-rounded, able to get it done through the air and on the ground. But for LSU, whew, a lot of missed tackles I, would, I saw. Yeah, yeah. They're, I mean, they're replaced both coordinators, but same old issues for the Tigers. Time is running out on Coach O. He's looking like Gene Chizik 2.0. He had that historic national championship team in 2019. And now – Bad season last year, cleared house, but those issues aren't going away. At best, I see this being an 8-10, eight, eight, uh, win team. Yeah, they, they look soft, and especially after Coach Yo goes in, did you see him say, uh, just walk into the stadium with sissy, sissy blue shirts? <laughs> yeah, I just did see that. <laughs> they got their ass kicked by some sissy blue shirts. Yep, uh, they did. 38-27, pretty dominant performance. They were the more physical team. LSU's got the better athletes than UCLA. Uh, but they're they're soft, uh, and I don't love Coach O's chances of uh, still being in Baton Rouge next season. He's got to he's got to turn this turn the ship around quickly. Agreed. Another Big Ten matchup: Iowa, Indiana. Iowa dominated Indiana, winning thirty four six. Indiana quarterback Michael Penix with three picks. Yeah, this was uh, not the start Indiana fans hoped for, especially for Penix after that big season last year being second team all-conference quarterback. He only had four interceptions all last season. He had three on Saturday. They, I mean, they got flat out killed from the get-go. It was 31-3 at half. A couple pick sixes there in the first half for Iowa. They didn't need to do a ton offensively because they were set up in good field position throughout the game. Tyler Goodson was solid at running back with 99 yards. But yeah, it was a it was pretty much a walk in the park for Iowa. Indiana probably will drop out of the top twenty five, and they uh, they've got some question marks defensively. It, they don't have the, all the guys they had last year. They lost their defensive coordinator, so they're going to need much much better play out of Penix. Um, still love Tom Allen at Indiana, but this was a a, a tough tough start for them. All right, moving to the Pac-12, biggest upset of the weekend. Montana takes down number 20, Washington, in Seattle, 13-7. Yeah, this was a really disappointing performance for Washington, obviously. Losing to an FCS opponent always will be. But a lot of people 
really liked Washington this year. It's Jimmy Lake's second year. Weird year last year. Their former defensive coordinator. People thought they were a, somewhat of a dark horse to win the Pac-12 North. I don't even know if dark horse is the right term. It wouldn't have been a crazy crazy pick to have them win in that division. But they've got real issues on offense. Dylan Morris is their quarterback now. He had three interceptions, averaged less than five yards per attempt. Uh, they could not get it going. Montana's good FCS team, number nine in the FCS preseason poll. But, man, this is a, a bad loss for Washington and a really bad loss for uh, the Pac-12 North. I don't know what you what we'll expect or who's the favorite now in the North. Oregon didn't look good against Fresno. And that, that was the only win from this division. Washington obviously loses. Cal lost to Nevada. Oregon State lost to Purdue. And Washington State lost to Utah State. So who knows who's going to come out of there. I guess Oregon's still the favorite <laughs> since they're the only one that won. But, uh, man, there's uh, might be lack of depth in that division. But a big <laughs> what a big weekend for the FCS. Five FCS wins, I think most ever in a weekend. Wow. FCS wins over FBS. So you had this one. You had UC Davis upset Tulsa, who played for the American Athletic Conference title last year. Their offense was bad. Um, East uh, East Tennessee beat Vandy, held them to three points. Clark Lee's got a real up- uphill va- battle there. South Dakota State beat Colorado State, and Eastern Washington beat UNLV. So, big day for the FCS. Yep. Uh, moving on to Big 12. Thought it would be a better game than this, but solid game for Texas in control pretty much the whole game. Good debut for Hudson Card. Texas won 38-18 versus Louisiana. If you're a Texas fan, you've got to love love what you got this weekend. Sark's first game. Hudson Card's first start. He was pretty flawless. No big mistakes. Threw for... Uh, 224 yards and a couple of touchdowns on only 21 attempts. And then Bijan Robinson does what Bijan Robinson does. 20 carries, over 100 yards. I mean, pretty mistake-free football for the Longhorns. I don't think you could have asked for much more. Uh, if you're Texas, uh, you don't want to. We don't want to overreact, which tends to happen if Texas has a decent win. But they should be a team that could could contend for a spot in that Big 12 title later in the year. Um, I I was impressed. I agree. They looked really good. Yeah, I, I like Robinson. I was looking at some of his highlights. He looks very quick. All right, Sunday night matchup. Awesome, awesome game. Awesome atmosphere. Notre Dame, Florida State. Notre Dame wins in overtime, 41-38. Yeah, this was an electric atmosphere. Uh, what a what a way to, uh, to end the weekend. Uh it was nearly a storybook ending. I mean, that Florida State crowd when Milton came in was was awesome. They Jordan Travis had kept a minute. Well, the defense and more so kept a minute. But then Jordan Travis goes out of the game late in the fourth quarter because his helmet comes off. Milton, first play, completes the ball 15, 20 yards down the sideline. They keep him in, go with the hot hand, which I loved. And he brought him back from 10 points uh, for, to force overtime against Notre Dame. After Notre Dame had really lit it up all day offensively, uh, Jack Cohen with a, a a huge game for Notre Dame, uh, 26 for 35, 366 yards and four touchdowns. 
they got a little conservative offensively there at the end of the end of the game, allowing uh, uh, Florida State to get a touchdown and a field goal late when McKenzie Milton had come in. Um, and then we get they got to overtime. Uh, UCF misses a 37-yard field goal. Notre Dame makes a 41-yard field field goal to win. If I'm both teams, I'm happy with the way this game goes. Notre Dame, you got everything you could have wanted offensively, at least. Jack Cohn was light years better than what I had expected. Maybe we won't have that. Um, maybe we won't have that drop off at quarterback from Ian Book to Jack Cohn like we might have expected. They've got a legitimate NFL tight end in Michael Meyer. He had nine catches, 120 yards, and a touchdown, and looked pretty much unstoppable. Defense lost a lot of guys there. Uh, Florida State was able to push him around a little bit, but you've got Kyle Hamilton on that back end who lived up to his hype, shows why he's the best safety in the country, had two interceptions. And then for Florida State, you don't want to lose a game. It's hard to say you're happy with the loss, but they had a valiant effort there. Mackenzie Milton, first of all, like I said, nearly a storybook ending. That was awesome to see. For those that don't know, he literally almost lost his leg a couple years ago after being a record setter at Central Florida. He looked good, composed, uh, took some hits, ran around. The leg looked good, which was which was good to see for him. Defensively, uh, pass defense, major question marks from Florida State, but I really loved what I saw out of that defensive line. They held Notre Dame, who might have the best one-two punch at running back in the country, to under 70 rushing yards. They sacked uh, Cone four times, and then Georgia transferred Jermaine Johnson is a beast. So Florida State fans should be thrilled with what they saw to their defense, at least their defensive front. Moving forward for Florida State, I'm intrigued to see what they're going to do at quarterback. Do they stick with Jordan Travis, who was not impressive to me? He was 9 for 19, 130 yards. Their offensive line is bad, so he's kind of running for his life, but just doesn't look totally composed when he's feeling the pressure. Milton came in wasn't taking sacks. He was getting out of the pocket, finding guys. I have a hard time thinking Jordan Travis is the better quarterback. If you're concerned about Milton being injured, he shouldn't be playing football. That, uh, But if he's if he's ready to go and play football, then he should be your starting quarterback. He should be their guy going forward, I agree, and I feel definitely. strongly about that. Yeah, I was reading this article. It said the doctor told Milton 50% of patients with that same injury lose their leg. Yeah, I mean so it's crazy. Literally, he was running a lot more than I thought too. And he, yeah, he to looked see. he looked good. I mean it's it's a miracle that he's playing football. So I was really excited to see him get an opportunity to go in. Who knows? Maybe Florida could Florida State sleeper ACC team. Yeah, I mean I still think they've got some question marks yeah. defensively. Uh, they had guys stepping up at running back. Um, the defensive backs are going to be an issue, but Mike Norvell might be able to finally start turning that ship around and going back in the direction of, of where that program should be. They should be a contender every single year in the ACC. Yeah. All right. You, did you, you want to go in the other games? Yeah. All right. Just rapid fire, other games, just quick little notes on those. Yeah, Charlotte upset Duke. Tough start for the season for Duke. That was Charlotte's first ever win over a Power 5 program, so a big win for them. Michigan State beat Northwestern 38-21. Uh, ran all over Northwestern. That's not typical of what we see out of Northwestern defense. So we'll see if Pat Fitzgerald can get things going right for them. Kansas opens the Lance Leopold era with a 17-14 win over South Dakota. Now they've got a, a game against Coastal Carolina this week. 
They enter as a 27-point underdog, which is – Well, I hadn't seen that yet. Yeah, that's crazy. Uh, Kansas State, big win for their um, program over Stanford. Dominant, uh, totally dominant, 24-7. to The difference was at the line of scrimmage, uh, K-State was able to run all over Stanford, 200 rushing yards, and they held Stanford to 39 rushing yards. They don't have that workhorse back that we've seen out of them in the past. Maryland with a good win over West Virginia, 30-24. to Their offense had nearly 500 yards. I'm interested to see if they can keep it going or some of the past couple years, Maryland gets a big win early and then takes two steps back. So let's see if they are uh, not ready to jump all in on Maryland quite yet. Iowa State, uh, a team that many believe is a threat to Oklahoma in the Big 12, struggled against Northern Iowa. They pull out the win, 16-10. Uh, started off slow last year, so maybe they just need to get going. But that is concerning for um, Iowa State fans. Mississippi State with a 21-point comeback, 21 points in the last 12 minutes to beat La Tech by one, 35-34. Austin Kendall looked good in his first start for the Bulldogs. And good thing Mike Leach won that game. It, last year was not not a good start to his tenure, and – Starkville, um, so good thing they won, but still some serious concerns for Mississippi State. South Carolina uh, beats Eastern Illinois, as expected, but they win big, 46-0. And the graduate assistant, Zeb Noland, uh, formerly at Iowa State and North Dakota State, tosses four touchdowns, so that is a cool story. He might be back at quarterback again this week, depending on what their uh, injury situation is with their starter. How is that even possible? That he can play. He still he had just... a year of eligibility left. Oh, okay. And he was a student, so hmm. I don't know how That's that cool. works, but he still had a year of eligibility left, probably because of the COVID year. Oh, yeah. Uh, Purdue um, gets a win over Oregon State, 30-21. to Texas Tech beats Houston. Uh, no, sorry. Uh, yeah, 30-21, to Purdue beats Oregon State. Texas Tech beats Houston, 38-21. This was a game Tech probably needed to win. I don't know how many win or how many opportunities they'll have in conference play. Oregon transfer Tyler Show, solid start, uh, 17 for 24, 231, and a touchdown. And then uh, Illinois, who started off the Bielema era hot last week with that win over Nebraska in week zero, gets beat by conference USA foe U, uh, UTSA 37 30. So back to the drawing board for Brett Bielema there. And finally, Nevada with a nice win over Cal, 22-17. to Jay Norvell has really turned around that program. They're a uh, threat in the Mountain West. He uh, Norvell might be look at, getting looks at uh, Power 5 programs uh, after this season. Did you want to save Players of the Week? Yeah, so uh, every week we'll kind of go through five guys that stood out. Uh, I guess our five Players of the Week for what they did on the field. Tanner Mordecai, the Oklahoma transfer, is now the quarterback at SMU. And in his first ever game with the Ponies, he broke a school record with seven passing touchdowns in the game. He went 24 for 30, 317, and no interceptions. That's all you can hope uh, in a guy's debut. Uh, he found a number of different guys, including his former Oklahoma teammate, Grant Calcaterra, for two touchdowns. Next up, a guy we've talked about, Jack Cohn at Notre Dame. I mean, he, you got everything you, you wanted to see out of him, 26 for 35, 366, four touchdowns. I ex expected a big 
step back offensively for Notre Dame. Not that I expected their team to get much worse, but I thought he'd be even more of a game manager than Ian Book. But maybe not. Maybe they can take it to the uh, to the next level. Maybe that's an upgrade. I'm interest, interested to see how that plays out. Uh, an FCS guy up here next, Rashid uh, Shahid uh, for Weber State. He returned a first-quarter touchdown. Uh, he returned a kickoff for a first-quarter touchdown against Utah, and that was his sixth career kick return touchdown, which tied an FCS record. So uh, shout-out to Rashid Shahid there. Riley Moss at Iowa, uh, he had two of their three interceptions and returned both for scores. So player of the game in that game for sure. Their, their defense looked really stingy. Uh, I'm excited to see what Iowa's defense is going to be able to do against Iowa State next next week. That should be fun. And the last guy here, Kenneth Walker at Michigan State. What a performance he had on uh, Thursday, Thursday – Friday. Friday. Uh, against uh, in a Big Ten game against Northwestern, uh, uh, Northwestern defense that is typically stingy and tough to run against. He couldn't be touched. It seemed 264 yards and four touchdowns. So really good start for Michigan State and Mel Tucker in his first full season there. Uh, good start for them. Yes, yeah, so that's our Week One recap. So on to the rest of the episode. On to college football headlines. Randy Etzel resigns at UConn coach. Parker, you called this a few weeks ago saying it's a basketball school. So it looks like came yeah. right up. Yeah, second uh, second time around at UConn for Edsel. Not nearly as much success as he had that uh, first time around when he took UConn from Division Two into D1 and eventually into that transition into the Big East. He was 6-32 and 32 this time around uh, since uh, he's been back since Yikes. 2017. Just never, I think half of those wins were against FCS opponents, never could get it going. And then this year, they lost, uh, they started out 0-2. They lost to uh, Fresno in Week 0, and then a really embarrassing loss to Holy Cross, who's an FCS opponent in Week 2. They lost by 10, I think it was 38-28. So that was kind of the end of it for Edsel. He had initially said it was going to be, uh, he would wait till the end of the season and finish up then. But next day, uh, they announced that UConn and Edsel had mutually agreed to uh, go ahead and make this immediate. So uh, defensive coordinator, uh, uh, their defensive coordinator, Lou Spanos, has taken over as interim head coach. I don't see really much much change for UConn. This is more about getting a fresh, fresh start starting next year. It's going to be a long season for the Huskies. It's just really not that attractive of a job right now. So... Uh, it's going to be uh, an uphill battle for for UConn for sure. Who could you see as a potential candidate? I mean, who would want to go there? Yeah, that's the question. I mean, there's several people that could make sense, but it's just not as attractive as it was even a year or two ago um, when they were in a conference there in the American, which is a respected conference. What a fall for them! They Ed, Edsel's first tenure, they were they won a share of the Big East twice, included a, a trip to the Fiesta Bowl. So. Uh, but they're not the same program now. They're not going to be able to attract um, really anyone too meaningful. A couple of names I like, Rhett Lashley at Miami. I don't know if he'd jump at this job. I think he'll get a chance eventually. He's offensive coordinator at Miami, uh, his former uh, OC for Malzahn at Auburn, and then went on to uh, – he, uh, he was at SMU most recently. But between those two stints, he was actually the offensive coordinator at uh, UConn after Malzahn took over the play calling back at Auburn. 
So he has familiarity with the program. He's not a Northeastern guy, so culturally it might be an odd fit, but he has been there. He's a really good play caller. I think that would be a good hire. The question is, would he jump? Another name to watch, and I think this would be even more of a long shot. I think Joe Moorhead eventually will get another shot as a head coach. He's the offensive coordinator at Oregon right now. Most recently, he was the head coach at Mississippi State, had two seasons there. Year one there was actually good. He won eight games, but then things fizzled out at the end for him last season with that brawl in the Egg Bowl or two seasons ago. Um, so he is another guy to watch out for. He's has ties. He's from the Northeast. Uh, he coached at Fordham. He was the offensive coordinator at Penn State. That could be a home run type hire for them. I think that could be a long shot, though, too. And then Todd Orlando is another name. He spent a decade at UConn as assistant. He's the USC defensive coordinator now. Those are kind of three names to watch out early for. The question is, though, how much are they willing to pay? I think they'll pay $1.2 million, which is kind of a, a mid-major type salary. It's similar to what you'd pay a coach in the MAC or the Sun Belt. Uh, so I don't know how deep their pool is going to be. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I'd, I think I'd much rather be at OC or DC somewhere else than UConn. I just can't yeah. imagine. It's going to be a tough job for whoever yeah, takes it over. Definitely. All right, on to the next topic. Another really disappointing injury. Ronnie Bell, wide receiver for Michigan, out for the year. I know we mentioned Ibrahim, so another tough Big Ten injury. Yeah, that's uh, this is a tough one for Michigan. He was really their only proven wideout uh leading receiver last year had over 500 yards in six games uh now it's gonna be uh michigan needs someone to step up a couple names to watch out for cornelius johnson he was their second leading receiver last year but big drop um, yardage wise from bell and then dalen baldwin is a transfer from jackson state he's bounced around in his college career um but uh he might be someone that has to step up for the wolverines they're not real deep at receiver they got some young unproven guys that could be talented but lots of unknowns uh so michigan um that's a tough blow for the wolverines for sure yeah definitely he had some awesome catches all right on to back to the big 12 expansion it's been kind of nice to get some different headlines recently but moving back to some big 12 news it looks like big 12 is moving with the expansion uh want to go into its invitations and all that yeah they're looking at it's moving quickly, as we discussed last week. UCF, uh, Cincinnati, um, BYU, and Houston are expected to um, get invites, and it could be as early as this week. It could, by the time we release this podcast, who knows? They, they could be, um, they could have gotten their invites already. It is expected to move quickly. Um, yeah, not really a ton to add. Just it's happening, and it's going to happen soon. I feel like it, it all happens so fast. Like with the back 12 not expanding and then the alliance, I feel like everything's been happening so quickly. Yeah, once a word once a word leaks out to the media and it gets out on Twitter and it's uh, almost like they want to online. give a stance to the fans. Yeah, you and, have to. I mean, yeah. what, it's too, I mean, if it's if there's uh, backing behind rumors or um, sources leaking info and it's legit, there's not really a ton you can do. You just right. gotta right move along. Yeah. Uh, last headline we have Sam Cunningham, former. USC player passes away at 71. Yeah, this is a, um, a sad, sad loss for the college football world. He was a Hall of Famer, like you said. Uh, he was part of that 1970 USC team. For those that don't know, they went down into Birmingham and played Alabama. Won that game 42-21. to Cunningham was a fullback on that team. Uh, ran for 135 yards and a couple of touchdowns in that game. And that was kind of what sparked the um, desegregation um, of football teams in the SEC led Bear Bryant to go out and start recruiting black players. 
and his teams took uh, took the next step with um, integrating their teams. So Sam Cunningham had an enormous impact on college football and the landscape and where we are today as a game. So uh, sad, sad loss um, for the for- former Trojan star. All right, those are all our college football headlines. On to week one, risers and fallers. Parker, who's trending up? Who's trending down? Yeah, trending up, uh, UCLA. I think that's an easy one. They started out the season 2-0. and And I was really surprised um, that they – not that they beat LSU. I thought they'd have a chance. I did pick LSU, but I thought UCLA would have a chance. But the way they dominated the line of scrimmage on both sides was, was super impressive. There had been some hype on UCLA, and I wasn't truly buying it because I wasn't really a believer in Thompson Robinson, but they, they, they've got a good running back in Charbonnet. He's averaging over 10 yards a carry on the season. Uh, Robinson is making big plays through the air. Uh, his accuracy is still not great, but they look like a big play team, which is what we would see out of the Kelly offenses at Oregon. So it looks like he's finally they're finally taking that step that people in Westwood – uh, we're hoping when they hired Chip Kelly. So exciting times uh, for UCLA. Maybe a fav- maybe uh, I like UCLA to maybe come out of the Pac-12 South. It's going to be a that'll be a fun battle. I think Utah and USC and UCLA are three teams that could win that division. And then my other riser. This isn't a huge take, but Bryce Young. I think because of how good their quarterback room has been, mm-hmm. a lot were expecting there to be a, a huge drop. They've had two other than Mac Jones had that huge season last year. But Bryce Young just comes out, first ever start, 344 yards, four touchdowns. I'm not ready to say, I think Oklahoma's QBU right now with Lincoln Riley, but Bama's on quite the run. I mean, they do have weapons all over the field to throw it to, but this run of quarterbacks that are on right now, Jalen Hurts uh, leading into Tua, Mac Jones, and now if uh, Bryce Young can keep it up, he's uh, a guy that could could win the Heisman. Yeah, I think also with Rattler and JT Daniels and – DJ kind of struggled this past week, so Bryce Young looked even better. Yeah, I think he's the favorite now. Yeah. So, and then uh, onto a couple fallers, falling quickly. Coach O, uh, ever since that 2019 title, they're five and six, and their defenses just kind of suck. They're giving up over 35 points per game in that stretch, and then his tenure as a whole, outside of that generational team, one of the best teams we've seen in my lifetime, at least. He's 46 and 42. He wasn't a good coach at Ole Miss. I just flat out don't think he's that good of a coach. When he's had a good offensive coordinator, a good defensive coordinator around him, he can make things happen. I think he's a good motivator. Uh, But he needs those elite play callers around him. Otherwise, uh, he just hasn't done much. So LSU fans are getting restless. They've got the talent there, but uh, I don't think he makes it through this season. And then my other follower is the ACC as a whole, I think you could say the Pac-12 here too, but they'd kind of already bottomed out. So I'm going ACC. They had three ranked teams heading into the season. All three lost. Uh, Clemson with that loss to Georgia. Respectable loss, but still tough loss to the ACC. North Carolina with a bad loss to uh, Virginia Tech. So I guess Virginia Tech stock risen a little bit, but that was a pitiful showing for the Tar Heels after they had lofty expectations going into the season. And then Miami getting run by Bama. Not that they lost. Most people expected them to lose, but they were not competitive in that game at all. So ACC is almost – they're not out of the playoff con- conversation because Clemson's still there. But Clemson or 
somehow in North Carolina or some someone else. Clemson is their only playoff hope, really, though. Uh, and they're going to have to run the table at this point, which they could do. They've done it plenty throughout the ACC, but their margin for error is minimal. So tough start for the ACC. Uh, and that's all I've got for uh, risers and fallers. All right, moving on to week two. We're highlighting five of the biggest games this week. First up, we got Utah against BYU playing at BYU. Yeah, I love this rivalry. The Holy Wars, they call it out in Utah. Uh, fun series, but one that Utah has dominated recently. They've won nine straight, so they're going for uh, ten straight this year. Uh, Utes coming off a win over Weber State. Hard to tell, FCS opponent. Uh, did what they needed to do. De- defense is stingy as always. Uh, BYU beat Arizona, who is uh, bottom of the barrel in the Pac-12. Uh they won 24-16, but defense kind of got beat up through the air. Arizona threw for 345 yards. Their offense played well in the second quarter, but besides that, it was pretty stale. They're going to need a, a bigger game out of Jaron uh, Hall, their new quarterback. And then just more into the game, I I don't think uh, I don't think BYU – their offense, I don't think, is as good as Utah's. Utah has a bunch of transfers, and I think their offense is going to just get better and better as the season goes along. And then Kalani Sataki, as uh, outside of his uh, last season where he was eleven and one, it's been okay, but they haven't been world beaters. So I think it, this game is in Provo. It's a home game for BYU. Should be a great atmosphere, but. Uh, I'm interested to see if Hall is able to, what he's able to do against what's always a stingy defense uh, under uh, Utah defensive coordinator Morgan Scally. So, uh, tough game for BYU, I think. Uh, They're going to need to pull out some, uh, uh, they're going to need to pull out some uh, tricks to, to knock off Utah here, I think. All right, moving on. Washington trying to bounce back after that really bad loss in Ann Arbor. Washington against Michigan. Yeah, this would have been a really great game in 2016. Um, <laughs> this year, still, uh, lo- uh, it's not crazy the most how ex- those non-conference teams. It's, it could be a great game, top five, top yeah. ten, and then all of a sudden, just terrible yeah. game. Yeah, this is uh, primetime ABC. Uh, I mean, two brand names, so that's exciting. I wasn't before the season. I would not have said this is a must-win game for Michigan, but now I kind of think it is. Like you said, Washington coming off that loss to Montana, FCS opponent, biggest upset in week one. So the expectation for Michigan should be win this game. They're at home under the lights, facing a team that was ranked but is coming off a bad loss. Um, Washington's offense struggled mightily. Uh, not only was Dylan Morris struggling with turnovers, he had three, those three interceptions, but he wasn't getting rid of the ball when he needed to. He got sacked three times. Montana had eight tackles for loss. So, and then Michigan has better dudes on the front seven than Montana does. So he's going to have to stay composed, throw the ball away when he needs to, not take the sacks, not throw the interceptions. Um, Michigan was efficient. Western Michigan's not a horrible opponent. Caden McNamara did what he needed to do. He was efficient through the air, uh, had two incompletions, but they weren't taking shots. They weren't having those explosive plays through the air that I think they're going to need because Washington's defense is very stingy still. That's a good defense. Their offense was their issue against Montana. Their defense is still pretty legit. So I think uh, I think this is going to be 
I think the initial reaction from most is, and you could see it with the spread of the game, it was a couple points um, before week one kicked off, and now it's looking like uh, Michigan minus 6.5 or 7. I think that's a bit of an overreaction. I think Washington is going to have a good chance in this game. Uh, They're not going to play as poorly as they did, so um, I'll make my picks later, but I think they have a chance to pull this one off outright, and at the very least, we'll keep this one close in my opinion. All right, moving on. I'm really excited about this game. Old Southwest Conference matchup, future SEC matchup in Fayetteville, Arkansas versus Texas. Yeah, I'm outside of Iowa, Iowa State. I think this is the game I'm most excited about this weekend. It's going to be an electric atmosphere. Arkansas does not like Texas, especially old school Arkansas fans. That's a, I think it's the fastest it's sold out. I, I think believe, it's their first sellout in a or while. First sellout, I think yeah. in like four or five years. So yeah. a lot of a lot of hype going into this one. Um. Texas has dominated the series 56-22, but one of the several game of the centuries was Arkansas-Texas uh, back in the early 70s or 60s. It was the late 60s. I forget. I think it was 1970. But uh, Texas looked really good, like we talked about in our recap, um, against Louisiana. Offense was efficient. Hudson Carter did everything he needed to. I was impressed with his ability to throw outside of the pocket and not make bad throws. That's impressive for a freshman in his first start. Bijan Robinson is going to be a tough, tough task for Arkansas to slow down. Arkansas, on the other hand, their offense needs to show more explosiveness. Although I'm worried KJ Jefferson is what we know he is at this point. He's a running quarterback who's very mediocre through the air. Only threw for 128 yards against Rice. That game was closer than the scoreboard indicated. Arkansas scored outscored rice 21-0 in the fourth uh, but that was a close game throughout so arkansas is going to have their defense is going to have to step up here big time you know they'll be playing hard for sam Pittman. they've got to force turnovers like they did in big games in their big games last season and if they do they'll have a chance to keep this one close but i don't feel as strongly about this being a toss-up type game as i did before the season texas impressed me i didn't see uh, out of Arkansas, what I wanted to see, especially offensively. All right, moving on. Big Ten, Pac-12 matchup in Columbus. O- Ohio State currently favored by 14.5. I don't know what to think about that, but I also think this might be Pac-12 slash Oregon's big chance to kind of make a statement for the year. What do you think about that one? Yeah, they've got to win this one. Uh, for I mean, for, they don't... The, the Pac-12 playoff the hopes Pac-12 are, are, are very, very slim already. Yeah. I don't... You can make a long shot argument for USC or maybe even UCLA at this point, possibly Utah. But Oregon is their best, was going into the season at least their best chance at possibly being a playoff contender. But they struggled against Fresno State. Uh, my concern with Oregon is Mario Cristobal tends to get really conservative offensively, doesn't trust his guys. You saw it often with Justin Herbert. And now, last week, they um, same type of deal. They. They couldn't get it going on the ground. They're conservative through the air. Anthony Brown has shown some flashes in his time at BC and then in that bowl game last year against Iowa State. But uh, I have – I don't know. I, I If I'm Oregon, I'm also worried that Ohio State offense got um, all their hiccups out of the way in that first half against Minnesota because, man, they've got so many weapons. I uh, This is – Another one I'll make my pick later, but uh, I I like I think I like Ohio State in this one. Uh, yeah. I I didn't love what I saw to Oregon. I know it was Week One, but uh, 
Yeah, I don't know if they've got the firepower to keep up with Ohio State. Yeah, agreed. All right, moving on. Last one of the pre- big previews we're going to do, uh, the Cyhawk game. Iowa State favored by four and a half. What do you think about that one? Yeah, I'm I'm pumped about this game. First ever top 10 matchup in this long storied rivalry. Uh, college game day is going to be there. Ames is going to be rocking. So this is going to be a fun, fun game. Oh, yeah, in Ames. I didn't Even with Matt Campbell's success, Iowa still won five in a row against Iowa State. For Iowa State, that one thing that I'm interested to see is they cannot come out. I mean, they need to come out with fire, but they don't want to come out too fired up. This has been a one-sided series. You don't want to come too amped up and then, you know, fizzle out there early. Uh, they struggled against Northern Iowa, but they did play without their star tight end, Charlie Kohler. I, uh, I'm not too concerned about their struggles. They've had issues the past few years in these early season games. Last year, they struggled. I think it was last year they struggled against Northern Iowa, and then they lost Louisiana. Uh, but they struggle in these early season games, so they've got to be locked in, ready to go. Iowa coming off that dominant victory over Indiana that was really over before it even started. It was 14-0 within the first few minutes. It was, what, 31-3 at halftime. Their defense looked legit. Uh, I'm not I'm not sold on their offense yet. They didn't really have to do too much. Their defense had two pick sixes. But uh, Tyler Goodson's a solid back. Both teams are going to need to establish the run in this game. If it's a slow ground-and-pound type matchup, I think I like Iowa. If it can become more of a shootout type, I'll take I would take Iowa State. I think Purdy is a much better quarterback than uh, than Petrus. Uh, this should be a this is the game of the week. I think it's going to be close. I think it's going to be awesome. Uh, Iowa State's got to avoid turning the ball over, avoid giving Iowa good field position, um, control what they can control, and hopefully for Iowa State. Um, Kohler is back because I think he's the best tight end in the country. Although Meyer from Notre Dame, he might by the end of the season change my mind there that he looked that good. But yeah, this is going to be an awesome game. I'll make my pick here in a little bit, but I'm fired up about this one. All right, moving on to a fan question. One this week, Ethan Roberts from Tulsa. Did Georgia establish a number one defense or is Clemson o- Clemson's O-line trash? DJ had no time. Yeah, uh, this was something we talked about leading up to the game was that matchup, how Clemson's O-line would would face a really talented front seven or front, yeah, front seven for Georgia. I think it's a mix of both really great um, play out of the Georgia defense and a Clemson offensive line that I'm very skeptical about. They had to move. One of their issues was they had to move uh, Bockhurst, their all-conference guard, to center because of injury issues there. And he struggled uh, just with the position. He's new to it understandably but then because of that they had to slide up a true freshman guard Marcus Tate in and it just wasn't they couldn't get going they gave up seven sacks they only rushed for one yard they couldn't create any push it was just an ugly performance I'm not ready to say Georgia's got the best team in the country yet just because of those concerns I have with the Clemson line I mean their longest rush of the day was 10 yards so yeah uh, it was a mix of both. I do think Georgia's got a top five, top ten defense, no doubt about it. But I don't know if they'll be having – if they might not have that type of success against some of the better offensive lines in the SEC. I think Clemson's got a pretty average offensive line. They might have to slot – they've only played six guys in the game, mainly the same core five. They might need to tinker with that offensive line a little bit, try some other freshmen, 
maybe Tristan Lee, really talented young uh, guy there. Um, but yeah, they're gonna have to make some changes. Um, it was week one, so they got time to time to mix things up if they needed to, though. Yeah, week one's kind of similar to week zero. You see one thing, you could see that they're good, but you've still it's still tough to say. Yeah, a lot, a lot of football to be played, yeah. so I'm not ready to uh, definitively answer that one quite yet. All right, moving on to the rest of the games. We previewed those five earlier, but kind of going on a little quicker here about the rest of the games. You want to highlight those? Go through them. Yeah, I'll just make quick picks on some games. First one here, I'll get Kansas, Coastal Carolina. Only reason I included this is because Kansas is a 27-point favorite or underdog, which is nuts to a Sunbelt team. <laughs> yeah, that's just... <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I actually am already on KU plus 27 here. I think Coastal Carolina is going to win this game. I think they're the better team, but... I think one thing that you'll start to notice out of Kansas teams, I think they'll show fight. Lance Leopold teams always have. So I think KU might keep this one closer than expected. Uh, we'll see, though. A former Big 12 matchup, uh, Colorado and Texas A&M playing in Denver. I think the Aggie, uh, Aggie defense is going to have their way against a very pedestrian Colorado offense. I think it could be similar to that Kent State game. I didn't love what I saw out of Hans King, quarterback for AM. He threw three picks. So I think Colorado might hang around early, but eventually that Aggie defense is going to break down Colorado, and AM's run game uh, is going to cause some issues for the Buffaloes, too. So I think might stay close first half, but AM will pull away and win this one big. First real test for Josh Heupel at Tennessee. They face Pitt. I think this one's in Knoxville. I don't think you can really take away much from Tennessee's 38-6 win over Bowling Green. It might look good on paper, but Bowling Green stinks. They lost by over 40 points a game last year in only conference play in the MAC, so they they're not good. Jeez, I don't think Heupel is gonna has a lot of faith with Milton the quarterback. He threw for 140 yards on less than 50, completing less than 50 percent of his passes. Uh, they tried running him a bunch, 14 times, but didn't really have any success on the ground either. Tennessee's defense played well, gave up only 1.4 yards of carry. But like I said, can't take too much into account here. Uh, Pitt won week one against UMass. Uh, I like Pitt here. Uh, they got Kenny Pickett back at quarterback, who's been a consistent guy over the last couple years. I think that's the difference. Uh, Heupel's uh, offense, they don't really have a go-to guys, uh, too much turnover. Quarterback play is going to be questionable, and I do not trust a Josh Heupel defense. So I think uh, Pitt wins here uh, by a couple scores. Um, next one, Rutgers-Syracuse. I'm telling you, watch out for Rutgers. They uh, dominated Temple last week. Greg Schiano is back at Rutgers and has them going the right direction. We saw it late in the season last year. I think we're going to continue to see that this year. I think they go to Syracuse and win this one outright. It's going to be a big game for Dino Babers at Syracuse, though, because uh, his seat is really heating up. So big game for both programs, but I like Rutgers here. I think they're heading in the right direction, while Syracuse is not. Uh, next game, excited about this one. Rematch of the legendary uh, Cheez-It Bowl a few years ago between TCU and Cal, if you don't remember that one. It was that just electric 10-7 overtime win for the Horn Frogs. <laughs> I think there'll be a few more points in this one. I like TCU to win this game. I think Duggan is going to take the next step at quarterback, and they got weapons all over the place. Good guys like Spielman at receiver, and then Zach Evans. I think is going to re- or, yeah, Zach Evans. I think is really going to take off at running back for them. Cal offense just hasn't been able to 
take that next step over the uh, last couple of years. Their defense has been really good year after year. They lost to Nevada last week in a game they led, probably should have won. And if they can't keep up with Nevada's offense, I have a hard time there thinking that they've got the firepower to keep up with some of the weapons TCU has. App State is uh, pl- visiting Miami. I think Miami gets this one done. I don't think they're as bad as they looked Saturday. I think that was a product of just Alabama being Alabama. I like the Rhett Lashley, uh, Derek King combination um, at, between OC and quarterback. I was tempted by App State here, but last time these two teams played, it was a similar type deal. And I think Miami's better than the last two times these teams played. And Miami went to App State and dominated that game. I just think they have a significant edge um, talent-wise. So I think Miami's going to pull this one off. They need to. They they need to come out uh, fired up after uh, that rough start against Bama. 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 I, I, I thought <laughs> it dropped to 22. I, eh. Miami, yeah. yeah. I, I would not have them ranked, but uh, it is Alabama. Yeah. Who I think is ridiculous is that North Carolina stayed ranked. Yeah. They should not. That, right. That they should not have stayed ranked. Um, NC State and Mississippi State are playing. I like NC State here. They look good against South Florida. I don't like what Mike Leach is doing at Mississippi State. I think it's a bad fit. They It took a big comeback to beat losing a Tech at home last week. NC State's better than La Tech. So I think NC State's going to win this one. Uh by a touchdown or so. SEC versus SEC matchup in Missouri-Kentucky. Big game for both teams as it's kind of a toss-up game. Uh, Kentucky seemed to find their quarterback against uh, Monroe last week. Will Levis threw for almost 400 yards, four touchdowns. I think it's a very even matchup here, but with it being in Lexington, I'll take uh, Kentucky to win this one. Early season Pac-12 game, Stanford and USC. That David Shaw... It's getting getting stale for David Shaw at Stanford. It is. I agree. I mean, when he took over for Harbaugh, they were in a, producing NFL guys offensively, defensively, elite running backs, elite quarterbacks, really good guys in the front seven. And we've seen the slowdown of that offense. Their quarterbacks haven't been the same. Their firepower hasn't been the same. But now you're seeing it on the defensive side of the ball. K-State ran all over them. So I think USC cruises here. Uh Stanford's going to have to make some changes. Uh, David Shaw's not saying calling for his job or anything because he's a great coach, but eh, it's just I don't like the direction of that program right now. Now one of those five big games we touched on earlier. I'll just make my picks here. Uh, I like Utah to win to beat BYU uh, for the tenth straight time. Uh, I, just what I've seen out of uh, BYU the last few years without. Zach Wilson's transcendent year last year has been very mediocre. And Utah defense is always, always good under Winningham. And Scally's an awesome, awesome defensive coordinator. So I think BYU might struggle to develop drives against that Utah defense. I mean, they struggled to to get a run of drives together against Arizona's defense, who's not any good. So I don't see BYU moving the ball too well against Utah. And then I think Utah just got the better players. I think their offense will get better and better as Brewer uh, gets adjusted there and all those transfers they have um, also get adjusted. So I think Utah wins this one in Provo. It should be a fun atmosphere, but I think Utah gets it done. Washington, Michigan. I hinted at it earlier. I like Washington to pull this one off. Uh, 
hard to believe after that performance against Montana, but I don't think their offense could possibly play worse than it did. Uh, they've just got to avoid turnovers and negative uh, plays. But I think Lake, uh, Jimmy Lake, will light a fire under them. I don't think Michigan's any going to be that good. Uh, I just have a, just a weird feeling Washington goes into the big house, uh, knocks Michigan off, and Harbaugh's seat gets really, like, burning. Burning, <laughs> yeah. Uh, last couple here, uh, Texas-Arkansas. I like Texas in this one. I was really super impressed with what I saw. Not ready to say they're back or anything, but I don't think Arkansas has got the firepower. They've, they, Like I said earlier, they have got to force turnovers if they're going to have a chance here. It will be the first time Hudson Card goes into road atmosphere. It's going to be an electric atmosphere. So if they could rattle them early, cause a couple turnovers, get a couple big stops, that's their their Arkansas's path is to rattle Hudson Card. Uh, if yeah. Texas gets going early, I think they could kind of run away with it. But I like Texas to pull this one off. Yeah, they did look solid last week. I'm trying to. Oh, that's 6 p.m. too. So that'll be yeah night atmosphere in Fayetteville. That'll be good. Yeah, um, Oregon, Ohio State. I like Ohio State to win this one. Uh, I'm not sure if I like them to cover or not, but I wouldn't be shocked if they covered that 14, 14 and a half points. I don't think they're going to be able to do what Minnesota could, and that was control the clock, keep Ohio State off the field. That's what you're going to have to do. You want to keep those weapons uh, on the sideline. I don't think Oregon's going to be able to do that. Uh, I've yet to see that out of Mario Cristobal to – uh, have an offense that can keep up with someone like Ohio State. So I like Ohio State here by double digit, double digits. Oh, and then this last one. This is a tough one. Uh, Iowa State has lo- has lost uh, five straight against Iowa. Iowa coming in off a big win over Indiana. Iowa State highest ranking in school history coming into the year, but had a basically a dud against Northern Iowa. They were never really, never really felt like they were going to lose that game, but I mean, 16 points against Northern Iowa is a tad concerning. Um, not sure if Charlie Kohler is going to play yet. If he does, that'll be huge for Iowa State having that type of guy uh, over the middle of the field. It's a tough ask for a safety to guard that size, and a tough, a tough ask for a linebacker too to uh, to keep up with him. But I just loved what I saw to that Iowa defense last week. How I mean, just not? stingy, yeah. stingy group. And they have Iowa State's number. So I like Iowa here. Uh, I think it's just the safer pick. So I think Iowa Iowa pulls this one off in a very close one. I, Iowa on a game-winning field goal, breaking the hearts of the people of and Ames. Uh, that's what I'm going with. But I'm fired up. I think it could go either way. I think it could go either way. With a field goal. Yep, you, calling you it game first. Game winning field goal <laughs> for uh for Iowa. Man, that that would break the the hearts of Iowa State folks. Winner of this game, especially Iowa State. If Iowa State wins this one, though, they're truly a college football playoff contender. And Iowa is looking like they could be the team to beat in the Big Ten West. So if they could start off two and zero against two ranked teams, they put themselves early on as a maybe the biggest threat to Ohio, Ohio State in the Big Ten. So it's gonna be it's gonna be awesome. All right. Moving on. By the way, you went nine and three last week, so pretty solid. Thirteen and four on the year. So good job there. Thank you. Thank you. All right, on to trivia section. 
I don't know why I say section every time, but moving on to trivia. You'll, you'll, you'll figure that out. You know. I feel like it's been a while. One for five last week. One for five in the last two weeks. After last that, five two for weeks. five performance. Yep. All right. All right. I, I feel like these are pretty fair, so we'll see how you do. 20 seconds for each question. Question one. Here we go. What coach has this career path from 2007 to present? Central Michigan, Cincinnati, Tennessee, Arkansas State. Butch Jones. Dang it. I thought that'd be either really obvious or you'd struggle with it. All right, one for one. And yeah, there's a little freebie to start it off. Question two. In 2016, this running back won the Orange Bowl MVP award. 2016, this running back won the... Was it a playoff game? Do you know? I don't know. I don't think so. If that's a little hint. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say Dalvin Cook. There I think they played Michigan in that game. Yeah, I don't know. It was Dalvin Cook. Two for two. Question three. In 2010, this Pac-12 running back led the nation in rushing yards. 2010. Michael James? Three for three. All right. Let's start. Question four. In 2015, two quarterbacks were selected back-to-back at one and two. Name them. 2015? 2015, yeah. Fifteen seconds. Jameis Winston and Marcus Mariota. Four for four. Let's go. Question five. In two thousand eight, this Big Twelve quarterback led the nation in passing yards with five thousand one hundred eleven. Can he go for five for five? For five. Okay, this is a tough one because there's a lot of because that's the Bradford McCoy and uh, what's his face Graham Harrell era. I'm gonna go with Graham Harrell. Five for five. Let's wow. go. There you go. Hey, you bounced back. Two, two, one, and five. Two ten, squeezed in five between five. A two, five, and fives. That one was my best performance, though, because I was kind of on the fence on some of those. Definitely. All right. Well, yeah. By the way, if you guys want to send in trivia questions, send them to me. I'm thinking of thinking of them every week, but kind of running out of <laughs> kind of running out of questions here. So yeah, I'd appreciate it if you send them in. That'd be fun. But that's our uh, episode for week two. Ready for another big weekend, Parker? Any any final words? Yeah. Uh, we're now back in full swing college football season, so I'm excited for another fun week. Last week was great. Uh, if you guys aren't following us on Instagram and Twitter, give us a follow at uh, Fifth Year Podcast on Twitter and at The Fifth Year Podcast on Instagram. Uh, we post some content on there. So we appreciate everyone listening, and uh, let's have a good week, too.